let's bring it alive one more time here on Midday. The Rural Radio Network goes on the air far and wide with information for you for the next two hours. And we have a roundtable assembled here with people who have information from all points of every interest that you can imagine. And we have Susan Littlefield, who is standing by to bring us up to date on ag. Well, thank you so much. Lots of things happening today. We're, of course, going to get an update at 1219 on the Farm Bureau listening session. They've been taking place all week, and there's been some surprises within the listening session. So we'll get more details coming from Clay on that one. At 1245, Shaley steps in with Aaron Boyer. He's an economist with the U.S. Meat Export Federation taking a look at the year we've had since reopening the Chinese market and the beef across the current trade environment with some custom feeders. And it's Friday, which means Friday's in the field. We are going to head to Bellwood, Nebraska, where they started out a few weeks behind schedule, and as of yesterday, they're a week ahead of schedule. So we'll get more details. I know. It has been a good growing season so far. Knock on wood. Yes, absolutely. I don't know how they manage that, but that just says, says something about the, the kind of growing conditions that we've had. Susan, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure working with you. You as well. I've got the box of Kleenex sitting right next to me, so it has been definite, definite wonderful trip with you down the road. Well, thank you very much, Susan, and I'll look forward to listening to you and the crew on the way down the road. With Brandon Bennett, you say it's an end of the era. It has nothing to do with me. It is indeed the end of an era, and unfortunately, it doesn't have anything to do with you. What we're talking about here, do you remember the good old days in the U.S. Open and other tennis uh, events, I suppose. Oh, sure. John McEnroe would yeah. absolutely go nuts on the line judge oh, or the absolutely. head judge and throw his racket and call all kinds of names. That era has finally come to an end no. because the U.S. Open, for the first time ever, all 17 courts at the U.S. Open will now have electronic line calling and video review available. So you won't have to worry about throwing your racket and going all John McEnroe on everybody. <laughs> it's all now going to be down to a science instead of an art. You can kick the box, though, can you? Not? You can always do anything that you want to. I mean, if you really get mad enough, and that's one of the many reasons I don't play tennis or golf or any of those oh, yeah. sports, it just doesn't work. And, of course, big news out of Omaha. A freshman pitched a two-hit shutout, Kevin Abel, for Oregon State, and he recorded his record fourth win for the College World Series. And uh, we're, we're ranking right up there with Fred Snodgrass, Fred Merkel, and others. Really? Because we had a major blunder at first base two nights ago, and uh, that's what okay. led to Arkansas losing. Yeah. And so forever synonymous with first baseman who made a blunder, Fred Merkel, Fred Snodgrass, <laughs> Bill Buckner, and others. And so now Arkansas went from winning the national championship to losing it in the span of ten innings. My goodness. Yes. So congratulations, Oregon State. So but uh, Arkansas will always be haunted by the foul ball down yeah. the first baseline. And, and the Fred Club. Yes. All right, and Bob Rogan slips in with business. Well, U.S. stocks are rising at midday as banks jump, and uh, the Federal Reserve said most of the largest U.S. banks can buy back more stock and raise their dividends. Also, U.S. consumers increased their spending just a little bit in May, a disappointing result. Nike is on track track to uh, for one of its biggest gains in more than four years after its fourth quarter profit and sales blew past Wall Street forecasts. So those are kind of things going on. And uh, by the way, uh, Susan is in the Bellwood area, which is a bellwether for <laughs> everything that's good. And beginning Monday, there will be a new permanent voice here hosting the Midday Program. It's been a pleasure and an honor serving you. This is Midday on the Rural Radio Network.
And for Paul Perkins, with a look at your regional ag weather, I'm Dirk Christensen, brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your ranky dealer. Well, here we are with another unpleasant afternoon in store. Everyone spending any extended time outside should certainly exercise heat-related precautions, stay hydrated, stay in an air-conditioned room if possible, and stay out of the sun at minimum. Take frequent breaks, check up on relatives and neighbors in these very stifling conditions, and also don't forget about the livestock and pets affected by the heat as well. Plenty of water and shade available. Strong to severe thunderstorms, possible to fire up on Friday evening and early overnight. Again, Saturday late afternoon could be that situation with uh, that out impacting some outdoor events. And so if you have that going on here in the pre-4th of July weekend, be aware to keep in fall and keep on top of your weather situations. Temperatures probably reaching anywhere in actual terms up to 100, 103 degrees over a good portion of the southeast part of Nebraska. Let's draw that line with the expanded heat index that's going to be extending from about the Burwell through Lexington to McCook and Hill City Hayes areas down into parts of Kansas. 106 degrees projected for Salina. Could be as hot as 103 in places like Broken Bow and the Grand Island. Columbus up to 104. Strong to severe storms then do become possible and some of those could become locally severe so Make sure you are vigilant for that as we get into these Friday and Saturday night periods. Today, in real terms, with the heat advisories in effect, 100 east and central, 85 to 95 in the west. Overnight lows could drop maybe down as low as 57 to 65 as the influx of cooler air moves its way in. 70 to 76 in eastern Nebraska. Saturday's highs still 90 east, 76 to 86 for central Nebraska. But cooling to 72 to 80 in the west and much more pleasant as we get into Sunday's forecast. A hotter, drier trend is the main corn and soybean crop area's concern in the U.S. A more favorable outlook for growing that spring wheat crop in the northern plains and Canadian prairies. That all has the attention of traders today. The ag weather forecast calling for hot, dry weather to increase stress to developing and reproducing corn and soybeans in the Midwest today and Saturday. Thunderstorms then will be breaking the heat in the western corn belt through the weekend while the eastern corn belt cools off with a few showers later on in the weekend. Not a lot of rainfall forecast in the Midwest next week with temperatures mostly above normal. Soils are expected to dry to some extent with crop stress on the increase. No significant rain expected forecast for central and southern plains areas during the next 10 days. Episodes of hot, dry weather favoring the maturing wheat and wheat harvesting while increasing stress to corn, soybeans, and sorghum, especially reproductive crops. West Texas cotton will see drier weather patterns continuing for the next week and temperatures mostly above normal. Northern plains mostly favorable for the developing corn, soybeans, and spring week over the next 10 days. Thunderstorms with moderate to heavy rain and strong storms and hail could cause some problems locally in the overnight areas. Looking for the Canadian prairie forecast calling for variable temperature patterns and episodes of showers favoring the developing crops. At this time, rainfall appears most likely through the central and eastern Canadian areas during the next 7 to 10 days. Temperatures 
reaching the low hundreds Fahrenheit in southern Russia Thursday, likely similar for today with southeast Ukraine in the mid to upper 90s. That would be the same for Friday as well, and these temperatures will cool off somewhat. A few showers moving into those growing areas during the weekend. However, uh, below to well below normal rainfall pattern and the above normal temperatures expected to continue to cause stress for the next 10 days or so. Temperatures turn higher. Rain chances diminish during the next three to four days, especially through the southern and central areas of northeast China. Longer-range weather threats increase the temperatures to moderate, no major concerns right now. Temperatures anywhere from 91 to 100 Fahrenheit reported in the central and eastern areas of the northern China plain. Dry and hot weather covering most of the rest of China. And in India... Moderate to heavy showers and thunderstorms occurring through the northwest and central interior locations Thursday. Rain also along the west coast with scattered showers through the east, central, and a little of northeast India. That outlook suggesting thunderstorms in the western part of northern India anywhere from three to four more days. After that, the activity will diminish again. Rain next week looks to reform over eastern areas of northern India growing areas. And the uh, hot, uh, the ground nuts and cotton in those areas will probably have to f- endure more favorable germination, uh, endure more hot weather before favorable germination weather approaches that area. Again, for today, heat advisories are posted for all of eastern Nebraska down into most of Kansas. And make sure that you are outside spending uh, your time under a lot of shade, taking plenty of breaks, and drinking plenty of fluids during the course of the day today. For weather anytime, it's krvn.com. Regional Ag Weather has been brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation. Soybeans are king in acreage competition with corn. I'm Shaley Peters joining you now on the Rural Radio Network as we take a midday look at your ag news for a Friday. Farmers planted 89.6 million acres of soybeans this spring compared to 89.1 million acres of corn, marking only the second time in history soybean acreage topped corn. According to USDA's planted acreage numbers released just a while ago, we have reaction here from Mike Zuzalo of Global Commodity Analytics. Yeah, mostly neutral report is good news given the fact that we're making fresh lows in the U.S. dollar. The fact that we saw deliveries extremely light in the first notice day for the wheat and the corn. The fact that Staff Canada's acreage numbers did not come in bearish. And the fact that Strategies Greens came in and cut the French wheat crop substantially. You throw on top of that, Clay, the fact that we have a hotter, drier weather forecast. GFS model on the morning run, and I think you have a reason for the market to stay strong as we get these neutral numbers that came out. And I would say mostly neutral, maybe slightly negative for prices on the corn, maybe slightly negative for spring wheat as well. But I think a lot of this has been baked in already. And of course, you can find the full breakdown of today's report by visiting ruralradio.com. And the Senate passed a new farm bill yesterday with a massive bipartisan vote of 86 to 11 signaling that the Senate Ag Committee will be in a strong position in negotiations with the House Agriculture Committee in conference. 
I thought it was a strong vote. Senate Ag Committee Chairman Pat Roberts told reporters immediately after the Senate adjourned until after the Independence Day break. Senate Ag Committee Ranking Member Debbie Stabenow noted that the manager's package incorporated 171 bipartisan bills and amendments. We worked hard to build a coalition, Stabenow said, adding she hopes the House will look at how broad the support was. There are no major changes to the farm programs in the bill. The basis of the commodity programs changes little in the Senate and House versions of the bill. Neither bill raises reference prices that are the basis for the price loss coverage and the agricultural risk coverage program. More than 77% of base acres are now enrolled in ARC and the percentage is much higher for corn and soybeans. But policymakers anticipate a high percentage of acres will convert to PLC once the bill is passed and USDA opens up a new enrollment period that would allow farmers to switch. An amendment added to the Senate bill by John Thune also would give farmers enrolled in ARC a second chance to switch programs in 2021 if commodity prices remain low. The major issues in conference are expected to be about differences between the House and the Senate on the changes to the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program and about how the bills address restrictions of eligibility for commodity subsidies. And many in agriculture are taking issue with some of the actions of EPA Director Scott Pruitt. Bruce Gorder has the reaction of one national leader. Kevin Ross of Minden, Iowa, is the newly elected vice president of the National Corn Growers Association, and he is not pleased with some of the decisions coming from EPA. It's been really frustrating when it comes to the RFS here in uh, in very recent months. You know, just I'll just be frank. Scott Pruitt has been uh, doing what feels like uh, trying to destroy the RFS with the uh, death by a thousand cuts and and a lot of things on the inside that. Uh, appears from the outside that there are pieces that that you wouldn't really even notice sometimes and you know if you're really paying attention there's a lot of things that he's been doing that that are undermining the the real uh, integrity of it and, and the intent of the rfs and and uh it's hurting our corn farmers hurting agriculture in general i'm bruce gorder on the rural radio network you're listening to ag news on the rural radio network Good afternoon on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Clay Patton. Earlier this week, I attended the Nebraska Farm Bureau's listening session tour in Hastings, Nebraska. One of the main points of concern that many folks addressed at the meeting was trade and trade affairs. Jordan Ducks, Nebraska Farm Bureau's Director of National Affairs, was able at the end of the meeting to address some of their points of concern, starting with where a lot of the trade tensions began with the Trump administration's tariffs on steel and aluminum. The talk of the steel and aluminum tariffs and the implementation of those. Now, the long and short of it is this was a target, we were trying to target China. This is all about cheap Chinese steel. However, if you go through and you look and what the United States imports, China is way down the list in terms of how much we import. You also have to look at the fact that the steel industry, relatively speaking, is pretty healthy in this country. We've produced roughly the same amount of steel since about 1980. We have steel companies that are profitable. There are fewer people that work in the steel industry, but most of that, actually all of that, can be traced back to efficiencies in, in you know, production. Um, and so you look at where we're at in the steel industry, and then you compare that to the idea of placing tariffs on steel and aluminum. The President, President Bush tried this in 2002, and it didn't work so well. For every job created or maintained in the steel industry in 2002, about 900 were lost 
on the production side. They're the folks that utilize steel. There's about 42,000 people that work in the steel industry and about 6.5 million jobs that are reliant upon the consumption of steel. There's a big difference there. We've had some trouble with that. We obviously have expressed that with the president. We'll see how far this one goes. This is the one where we probably have, and from our standpoint, muddies the water through a lot of issues when it comes to the trade side of things. Another trade deal many producers are concerned and want to know more about is the state of affairs with the NAFTA renegotiations. Then we bump up to NAFTA, NAFTA renegotiation. We, we thought that was fine if they want to go through that, but our priorities were that it needed to be done quickly, it needed to be done quickly, and it needed to be done quickly. Unfortunately, we're, we've been delayed here. It's, been, it's taking some time. Um, there were a lot of positive things done so far on the titles that they've closed. But the five-year sunset provision that the president and his administration have been pushing for, basically that all the countries have to repass NAFTA every five years, as well as discussions on auto parts have been the major sticking points. It's outside of agriculture. The agricultural stuff is largely done outside of dairy, a whole other animal in and of itself. I think we're going to see some good news on NAFTA moving forward here. The president is adamant he wants to do something and get this thing done. We have Mexican presidential elections on July 1st. I think we have the ability to get the ball rolling here, but it needs to start happening pretty quick. Jordan went on to discuss that even though many of the U.S.'s trading partners have been upset by the U.S.'s trading actions, many of the trade actions, including tariffs and other moves, are targeting one country specifically. Folks, the Chinese have pushed the United States around and other countries around when it comes to trade for decades. If you look at what they have done when it comes to non-tariff trade barriers, when you look at what they have done in terms of when they joined the WTO, not accepting the grain quotas that they are mandated to take, if you look at the intellectual property theft, the president has identified, and you can talk to anybody on the trade side of things, when Steve and I were at the U.S. Grains Council, they would identify these exact same problems. There are very real and substantial problems with our trading relationship with China. The problem is, is that we have a very interconnected trade relationship with China. Nebraska Farm Bureau will restart the listening sessions once again in August. If you'd like your voice heard before then, reach out to them at nefb.org. This is the Rural Radio Network. It's midday on the Rural Radio Network. Let's check sports today with Brandon Betts. Good afternoon, Dirk. Freshman Kevin Abel picked up a two-hit shutout while earning a record fourth win at the College World Series last night as Oregon beat Arkansas 5-0 for the national championship. Abel was nothing short of spectacular against the Arkansas team that was surely still reeling from a foul ball fiasco in the ninth inning on Wednesday that cost him the title at that point and gave new life to the Beavers. Adley Rutschman was named most outstanding player after a record-setting 17 hits over this year's College World Series. Two people familiar with the decision say LeBron James has told the Cleveland Cavaliers he is declining his $35.6 million contract option for next season and is becoming a free agent. James's representatives told the Cavs on Friday, said the people who spoke to the Associated Press on the condition of anonymity. The move was expected by the three-time NBA Finals champion who played in his eighth straight NBA Finals this past year. The 33-year-old will now decide if he's going to leave the Cavaliers for the second time in eight years. Back in 2010, he bolted for Miami, spent four seasons with the Heat, winning two titles before returning home to Northeast Ohio. James said there's still a chance he'll re-sign with the Cavs, who were swept by Golden State in this year's NBA Finals. The Red Sox and the Yankees start a three-game series in the Bronx this afternoon with the American League East Division race on the line. 
Boston comes in with a one-game lead with teams still toting the top two records in the majors. Boston and New York have split their first six matchups this season with each winning a home series so far. CC Sabathia will take the mound for the Yankees and Boston counters with Eduardo Rodriguez. Former Royals pitcher Zach Greinke became a jack-of-all-trades yesterday afternoon while helping the Arizona Diamondbacks increase their lead in the NL West to three and a half games over the Los Angeles Dodgers. On the mound, Greinke allowed just seven hits over seven shutout innings, and at the plate, he was two for three with an RBI, a run scored, and a stolen base that raised his batting average to an even 300. And the U.S. Tennis Association said that today, for the first time ever, every single match on all 17 U.S. Open courts will have electronic line calling and video review available. The U.S. Open introduced the electronic line calling system in 2006, and the technology has slowly grown since then. Last year, only seven courts had the capability. That's a look at sports. Stay tuned. More of Midday is straight ahead. With the Rural Radio Network, this is Brandon Bennett. Mostly sunny and hot today with the high near 98 for tonight. A 30% chance of showers and thunderstorms mainly after 3 with a low of around 68. And then for Saturday, a 30% chance of showers and thunderstorms mostly cloudy with a high near 80. From the Caribbean Newsroom, I'm Scott Foster. Lexington Volunteer Fire Department was called to a house fire at 3.30 p.m. at the 1100 block of Jefferson Street that was set off by an unattended punk that was still burning and set off fireworks inside the door of the house. Fire Chief Dallas Holby. Uh, when the first truck got there and some law officers from the city got there, they found some fireworks burning inside the, the door of the house. They took those out and... Uh, a couple of the shells from one of the fireworks had, had gone off and went into the ceiling, actually shot through the ceiling of the living room area. So we did pretty extensive damage up above because it, it went through the ceiling and then it apparently exploded up there. And so we had a little hot embers kind of scattered throughout the attic space. So we had to do quite a bit of demo to the ceiling in that living room to get it all put out to ensure that it wasn't going to reignite later. No one was hurt. But a family of nine was displaced from the home. The children had been told to put their fireworks away before the family left the house, and a punk was left on top of a bag of fireworks. Eastern Nebraska authorities say a man has died after power arced from an overhead line into a truck boom. Medics were sent to the Omaha Fish and Wildlife Club around 4.50 p.m. Thursday. The Cass County Sheriff's Office says the man was operating the truck with the raised boom when the accident occurred. The Sheriff's Office says witnesses reported that the boom didn't touch the line, but electricity arced into it and down through the truck into the worker. He was pronounced dead later at an Omaha hospital. He was identified as 31-year-old Justin Mason, who lived in Bellevue. Those who hope to escape the heat by doing some tubing or skiing should stay off the rivers, especially in northeast Nebraska, says Greg Wagner with the Nebraska Game and Parks. Stay off the Elkhorn, stay off the Platte, stay off the Missouri. So when the sandbars are covered and boat launches are closed, whether it's Dodge Park north of Omaha or the NRD, accesses on the Elkhorn, that should tell you stay off these rivers. And he says even on the lakes, boats should slow down and look for obstacles in the water. Kansas Senator Jerry Moran says he plans to discuss election interference during an upcoming trip to Russia with a small group of Republican lawmakers. 
The Kansas City Star reports that Moran will also be visiting Norway and Finland during the Senate's holiday break. The visit to Russia occurs ahead of a planned July 16th meeting between Russian President Vladimir Putin and Donald Trump. Storm Center coverage 24-7. Catch it on air, on Twitter, Facebook, and online at krvn.com. From the KRVN News Center, I'm Scott Foster. One year back into the market, U.S. beef faces new challenges in China. I'm Shaylee Peters. Joining you now on the Rural Radio Network and visiting with me today about this is economist with U.S. Meat Export Federation, Aaron Borer. And Aaron, you guys recently took a look back at what we have seen in this year and what a ride it has been trade-wise over the past year since opening that market, reopening that market to China for beef. But... I want to get an update first on where we're at because there's been so much that's happened as far as trade is concerned. And then also take a look at what this means for the road ahead when we talk about beef and really even some of our other meat exports. Okay, yes, it's been a tumultuous, I would say, past couple of months anyway. And so again, China reacted immediately and published their their similar list, their $34 billion to also have from the U.S. and products from the U.S. to also face additional 25% tariffs. And U.S. beef is once again on that list, uh, along with basically all U.S. ag exports to China. So everything is on there. Uh, concerningly for the whole red meat industry, pork is on there again. And so we'll have a, a tariff on U.S. pork increasing from 37% to 62%. And the tariff on U.S. beef will increase from 12% to 37% on July 6th. Again, assuming nothing happens between now and then. And so if we look at, at U.S. beef, um, we know that we're the, by far the highest priced product in the market anyway. And we have a significant premium over Australia, which is our biggest competitor, Australian grain fed in the market. And so it's, you know, we've made progress even even with that price premium and we have kind of loyal users on the China side that are making it work with US beef and in that meaning they're able to make money obviously which is key and so the trade is continuing to kind of figure this out and trying to utilize as much of the animal as possible and I think we've talked about this some before but being able to merchandise as many US cuts as they can to spread that kind of per head premium that it costs to produce a China animal um, across as many cuts as possible. And so it's a it's an incredibly complex market given that we essentially need a China supply chain on this side to meet the import requirements. And all of that adds costs and kind of logistical challenges. And so the last thing we need is a, an added tariff that just increases our price further, another 25% that has to be absorbed somewhere. Um, there's not really room to absorb it on this side. And it's, it's difficult for end users that are already you know, paying top dollar to get U.S. versus anything else in China um, to have that for their price hike. So it's a, it's a big smack, um, a big hit for U.S. beef, especially as we're still, as we look at kind of in the infancy and again, given the complexities of the channel, we knew it would, or the chain, we knew it would take time, um, given the beef production cycle, to really build this China pipeline, if you will. And this is clearly a major setback on uh, the signals that are sent to 
you know, U.S. cow-calf producers, um, which is where this all needs to start, won't be positive either. So it, it is um, a major concern, and hopefully these tariffs will be short-lived and it'll just be a blip. But complicated, there's still huge potential in that market, and this, at the moment, is a major setback that we hope can be resolved and then more progress can be made on further opening the market. Definitely some impact to be felt then, even if we do get it settled, as we all hope, in a relatively quick fashion. But another thing I wanted to bring up, and you guys touched on when you looked at this, was the effect that this has had already on customer interest, and maybe even the consumer down the line, but certainly customer interest. And, you know, there's trust to be held there. Is that coming into play as well? Yeah, good question. I mean, I I'm, I don't think it's really necessarily gotten to the consumer level, but the customer level, it certainly um, has to be a little bit, you know, unnerving because obviously we are talking a lot of money on the line, right? And so a 25% tariff on these very high-valued products or loads, containers, that is a sharp increase in, you know, dollars or B that has to be spent. And so the uncertainty certainly hit on the, the volumes, even in back in April when the initial kind of threat list was out there, that did hit sales. And if we look at the, the weekly export data, um, I think we were down something like 40% compared to the pace that we saw at the end of last year when sales were really, and shipments um, were really ramping up. So we did see that, you know, hit or the reaction on the, the buying side in China starting back in April with when beef was on the list, even before we knew when or if the tariffs would be implemented. And so, yes, the uncertainty um, and the, the threat had already really hit volumes. And going forward, you know, I think Joel discussed that end users, they, you know, they want, they want U.S. beef. And we've known that for, as you said, the 14 years. Um, anytime I was over there, that's all anyone wanted to talk about is when can we have U.S. beef? So the demand is there, but, you know, financially it has to work. And so I, I don't think we're to the consumer level damage, but the customer, you know, to be able to feature U.S. beef on whether it's on a menu or on your re- retail shelf, you have to have certainty in product availability and pricing. And that's the only way to run your business. And when you don't have that, it doesn't work. And so that's kind of the situation that we are in and at the very top end, you know, the kind of price and elastic or the, those that can pay anything, that business will continue. But for, for much of it, you just can't afford another 25% pile on top of the, you know, the most price premium product really in the market anyway. All right. Thank you so much for your insight today. Erin Borer, she is an economist for USMEF. And for more on this, you can visit ruralradio.com. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Pat on the Rural Radio Network as we take a look here at the closing livestock futures with Joe Teal of Great Plains Commodities and Joe here on the live cattle and feeder cattle side something we haven't got to see in a while and that's limit up moves. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's been quite a while and uh, what a turnaround and what a way to finish out the week uh, in the cattle uh, and the feeders. Now the interesting thing is is the cattle finishing uh, limit up, but. Uh, Really, they uh, still finish lower for the week in the live cattle, but higher in the uh, feeder cattle for the week. But uh, a lot of buying showing up 
uh, the movement of cattle seems to have picked up just a bit, and I think that's uh, one thing. I mean, it hasn't been at any drastically higher price or anything like that. Uh, And cutouts were lower again at noon, uh, so they're lower for the week in the uh, cutouts. But there's a growing feeling out there that uh, basically the... uh, uh, cattle are are finding a bottom in here, and that uh, as we move toward the, the latter part of summer and into the fall, that things uh, might tighten up just a little bit more as far as uh, the numbers, and uh, that was reflected. And when the June goes up, when the June went off the board, uh, that put August in the uh, lead, and it's still discount, and that is one of the reasons I think we saw a lot of buying there. Over in the hogs, uh, we did see uh, uh, some triple-digit gains there uh, uh, with the uh, June and June cat or June hogs, and uh, the August hogs. The rest are uh, sharply lower. But, uh, That's Joe Teo, Great Plains Commodities, joining us here for a look at our closing livestock futures on the Rural Radio Network. It's time again for Fridays in the Field. We head south of Columbus to the Bellwood area and the operation of Bruce Schmidt and Pete C. Schmidt and Sons. This plot behind me is actually a week ahead of schedule. If you remember how this spring went for producers, it was cold, it was wet, and it was slow to plant. We are ahead of schedule, the the way it looks right now. Um, We're close to tassel on quite a few fields, and that's... uh, you know, typically for this area, probably a week to 10 days ahead of schedule. So, And really kind of surprising because our plant dates were not that horribly early, but we've just had really growing, good growing conditions since the start. Even though the crop does look good, Schmidt said they have had some hurdles this growing season. Really not so much of a problem with the corn. We've, soybeans are a whole nother matter now. You know, with with the uh, resistant weeds and what have you, we've been struggling every which way, every type of chemistry you could think of on soybeans to try and try and keep the fields clean. That's been the that's been the biggest challenge for us. And even though beans have had a bit of a struggle, they've already got blooms. Yes, they are. We actually are very close to R four on some of our beans here. So we're going to start with a. a fungicide and a, and a biological schedule here shortly on the soybeans. And as Schmidt said, he knows he's not the only one that's been dealing with a lot of concerns with soybeans this year. So I asked him, do you have any advice for other producers? I'm at a loss myself. <laughs> We've tried all kinds of different things. Uh, we're actually talking about a couple of fields now where it would be a, a cobra and a resource situation. They are not dicamba beans. You're actually beyond the point where you can where you can spray ingenia or or uh, the other product and i i don't know it, this is this is becoming a real situation it, it was slowly coming upon us with the resistance to to the glyphos but uh you know thinking that you know the the whole process wouldn't come on us as quickly as it has but i'll tell you what we've got We've got a real situation now, so Palmer is is a real problem. We just 
we've tried every chemistry in the world and every combination and and it's getting to the point where we can't kill it with anything so it may be a situation where we come back to uh what we call a steel blade herbicide <laughs> i i hate to hate to think of that but we're going to have some areas that we may have to just rogue or hire those high school kids that, to that, walk bees. That, that's right. Get back to those good old days. Had any weed concerns um, in the corn at all? Not really. This year's been been a good season for us as far as weed control. Uh, with some of the rains that we've had and the, and the products that we were using, it's worked well. And as for the current conditions of temperatures, Schmidt said the corn's ready to tackle it. The plant respire, you know, a little cooler night and warmer day. You're still going to get, uh, with what we've had to date, we're getting maximum heat units. So you don't have to be that really hot both ways. Recent rains, kind of nice not to have to do some irrigation. It has been wonderful. This, this helps, no doubt about it. Just outside of Bellwood, Nebraska, for Fridays in the Field, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Play patent on the Rural Radio Network, talking with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. John, as we saw after the stocks and acreage report come out, really a green day in the grains, but here at the end, soybeans slipped lower. Just a nasty close for the second straight day. I mean, I was up just making my lunch at 105 and thinking, hey, you know, we're going to settle out somewhere around you know, 885, 890, and I looked down, I was like, wow, we're sub sub 880 already and it just uh you know kind of took the wind out of the sails here wheat was you know had a fantastic day gave a lot of those gains back uh you know i would have i had kind of a good mood and you know good good skipping attitude here as we're going to come into the end of the month uh, a real brutal month but unfortunately we're closing near the lows of the month uh in, in soybeans uh after i think i'm going to do the math real quickly on the radio a dollar fifty from open to close as far as june goes so one of the worst months I think we've been a part of here is this, at the CBOT, maybe in the last four to five years. Looking at some maybe positive news coming out in the outside market factors, U.S. dollar index has seen a large sell-off today. Yeah, I'm not sure if that was just end-of-the-month profit-taking or there's something that's expected here uh, with, with the FOMC or tariffs. I, I had to, hard to get too, uh, too bearish on the dollar. It wasn't down you know, substantially from where we started the week. I mean, we were actually up, but we did make, a, uh, I think, a yearly high last night, and then it fell back down again. Uh, the weaker dollar is really what you want to see, especially if you're a wheat producer. Um, but from the corn side, you know, ethanol, all that stuff that gets exported should be cheaper here. Uh, and if we can get some follow-through, given the good action in, in crude, I think you're going to see those margins continue to widen. So, uh, again, I, I try not to put too much stock here in the, in the last five minutes of trade, especially given that we saw the market do so well you know, in the early part of the trade last night, essentially taking away all the clothes. So maybe Sunday night we get a nice open hire and, uh, you know, we put this month behind us. The report today I thought was somewhat bullish, uh, just given that, you know, the, the worst-case scenario as far as, like, a 90 million acre uh, yield in corn is behind us and, and didn't really see much of an adjustment there. But uh, the, the biggest thing uh, for us now going forward is yield. And uh, the next report to kind of focus on will be, I think it's July 11th is the WASD, uh, July 11th or 12th. And that'll touch on our first kind of yield outlook for this year. And my bet would be that we're going to get an unchanged. So everybody's kind of talking about 180, 185. It's a little bit like the big bearish guesses we were seeing last year when people were thinking we were going to see 165 and end up getting a 174. 
That's John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Trading in Chicago. If you'd like more information, visit DanielsAg.com. That's DanielsAgMarketing.com, DanielsAgMarketing.com, where you can see more. Again, as we take a look here, corn, wheat, both ending in the green, but soybeans giving it back before the trade was over. Live cattle and feeder cattle, though, able to hold limit-up moves. This is the Rural Radio Network. 